Good to have you with us here today at the Antioch campus of Blue Valley Baptist Church. If you would please find the book of Jude right there at the end of the New Testament. We're going to look at the last two verses of the book of Jude. And if you've been a part of the Blue Valley family very long, very likely you may already, without knowing it, have these verses memorized. You'll figure out why in just a little bit. Today we come to an end. We come to an end not just of a little sermon series tucked away in August. We come to the end of a church year. This is our last Sunday of a church year. And as such, we, we come to the end of a preaching calendar that has endeavored all year long, believe it or not, to unpack one theme. And that theme is that Jesus is above all. We looked at the book of Revelation and we saw that in spite of all of the scary things and disheartening things that could happen in the world, Jesus is at the center of it all, sitting on his throne. He's not apart from it. We, during the Advent season, when we were going through really the darkest times of the pandemic, we are reminded that in spite of all of the chaos and all of the crisis and all of the hate, Jesus is making all things new. We spent time in the book of 1 Peter, and we were reminded that when we give our lives to Jesus, we become functional exiles in the world, not belonging here but moving to another country. But we are reminded that the country to which we are moving has Jesus, who is not a king. Jesus is the king. And then we've come to the book of Jude, and we have, we have seen that there are times that we are required as followers of Jesus to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints within the church. Pressure doesn't always just come from the outside. Sometimes it rises from within. But today, today, having concluded that we do need to endeavor in that way, we see that it's all okay because Jesus is the victor and the one in whom we can trust. So... I hope you have found uh, the book of Jude. Would you stand, please, as we honor the reading of God's Word, as we come to uh, one of our benedictions that we use here at Blue Valley, used it for a couple of years, so you probably are going to be inclined at the end of this to say, God bless, you're dismissed, but do not. <laughs> now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Be seated. The title of this series has been The Battle Ready Life, and just to be real honest with you, I was a little hesitant to title anything in church life, Battle Anything, because we're, we're in a battle-happy world, aren't we? I mean, we just, we just are. I, I, I think we are rapidly moving to becoming a, a cinder hanging smoldering in space, and below it will be a plaque that says, This Apocalypse, sponsored by Facebook, Twitter, CNN, and Fox News. I'm not on social media uh, except on Instagram to take pictures of my granddaughter and my bird dogs and occasionally what I'm eating. But my dad is on Facebook and, and my, my wife is on Facebook. She shared with me something that he posted a few months back that I thought was appropriate and uh, 
this particular service demographically probably appreciate it more than the next service. Uh, but my dad, who just turned 80, was uh, posted this, uh, I don't know what they're called, uh, memes or whatever. He posted this thing. And uh, it said, name something that you experience every day that would surprise people who grew up in the 50s. And my dad posted this. He said, within my pocket, I hold a device that grants me access to the sum total of all knowledge ever created. I use it to watch cat videos and fight with strangers. (laughs) We live in a battle ready world. And yet Jude tells us that there comes a time for us as, as followers of Jesus, in spite of our efforts to labor for peace and to labor for unity around the cause of Christ, that we may have to reach a point of battle. But in that point of battling for the faith, we are informed by our Savior's ultimate victory, and it should flavor every single thing we do to contend for the faith. And Jude challenges us to bury down into two key truths as we work toward contending for the faith. The first is this, stand in the victor's power. Stand in the victor's power. Stand in the power of Christ Jesus himself. Let me show you how he does that. Look again at verse 24. He starts with the words, now to him. Uh, the, the him that he's referring to is revealed in verse 25, the only God our Savior. We'll get to the beautiful meaning of that in just a few moments, but right now we are just simply to understand that everything that he is about to ascribe is to God Almighty. And then he says, who is able? Who is able? Now that word able in our language uh, communicates the idea of ability, I am able to do something, but not certainty. Let me give you an idea of what I mean. I am able to turn a somersault, a very awkward, painful-looking, middle-aged somersault on the platform before you today. It is not at all certain that I will do so. In fact, it is highly unlikely that barring some kind of cataclysmic event that it's going to happen before you up here today. I have the ability, but there is not certainty that I'm going to do it. So we see the word able here, and it's easy for us to think that God is able He's capable of doing something, but it's not certain. That's not what Jude is communicating. Jude is communicating that the one that he is speaking to will absolutely do what he is about to say. Now, to him who is able to keep you. That is something that I want to get to here in just a moment, but it's a simple, settled fact we just need to hang on to, move past it, where he begins to unpack it a little bit. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, from stumbling. Now you get two options in the New Testament for interpreting that word stumbling. It can mean sinning. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from sinning. Uh, Jude's brother James, who wrote the book of James, in James 3, 2, speaks of how we are capable of stumbling in many ways. He means we are capable of sinning in an infinite number of ways. So stumbling can mean sinning, or it can mean a complete abandonment of the faith. This is how Peter uses the word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, when he speaks of staying firm in the faith so that you will not fail. That word fail is the same word that Jude uses here as stumbling. So which is it? Is it, is it the God who is able, who certainly will keep you from sinning? Well, if that's the case, we've all got big problems here, don't we? Because I don't know of anybody who would say, I have transcended the ability to sin. Most of us are very creative sinners. We can find a wide variety of ways to sin. That's probably, in fact, that's likely not at all what he is saying. He is instead saying, this God is able to keep you from completely abandoning your faith. That phrase, keep you, speaks of a simple, settled action. And so it is God by an act of his will, has made it impossible for you to completely abandon the faith. Think of the encouragement that's going to be to people as they are laboring to preserve the truth of God in a, in a church that was trying various ways to walk away from the truth of God. It gives them conviction and it gives them comfort that God is always going to keep for himself a people that will never ever walk away or abandon the faith. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and then he gets into really cool stuff and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. When I first memorized Jude 24 and 25 for benedictory purposes, I learned it from a different English translation, and I love how it translated. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to cause you to stand in the presence of his glory with great joy. It's communicating the idea that because God has decreed by an act of his will that we as his followers will never completely abandon the faith, he will take us not by our will and not by our moral perfection and not by our religious abilities, but by an act of his will, he will cause us to stand in his presence, referencing what? Referencing final judgment and get how he will cause us to stand there, blameless, with great joy. The future of Christians is to stand at the judgment seat of God, blameless in the blamelessness of Christ, and as such experience great joy. The rest of the world won't experience it in that way. Those that have not followed Jesus will not come to that seat of judgment and have the experience of great joy. The words of Jesus himself were that they would experience weeping and, and wailing and, and gnashing of teeth, but because of, of the, the, the power of God, his followers will stand one day before him with infinite numbers of things in their lives 
that could cause them to be pronounced guilty. But because of the work and the, and the finished mission of Jesus, we will stand there blameless with joy. That should encourage us. But it should also encourage us another way. And this, this next thing I'm about to say, I need to just let you know I'm indebted to a retired pastor in, in Nashville named Ray Ortland. He said, when we think about judgment, it reminds us that nobody gets away with anything. I mean, we can, we can wring our hands and think, man, I hope God has noticed about this, and I hope he's, he's seen this. All those things, by the way, tend to be finger-pointy things, not <laughs> inwardly. But I hope God sees this, and I hope God sees this, and I hope he sees the threat, the people trying to undermine the truth of, of God's word, and judgment lets us know he does. He does. Nobody's going to get away, ultimately, with anything. But you and I, because of the finished work of Jesus, by an act of God's will, will stand before him with great joy one of these days. And that power, that knowledge of my settled and certain future should give me not a desire to say, well, it's all going to work out in the end and I don't guess I have to worry about anything. No, it should cause us with that settled future to go out into the world with a calmness and a peace that stands out from all of the outrage and the screaming that is taking place around us. We, when we contend for the faith, contend for the faith in the power of Christ Jesus, not our own. You're not going to win any battle because you knew the perfect answer. You're not going to defeat any doctrinal foe because you did your homework theologically better than they did. Ultimately, any victory we win in faithfulness to Jesus Christ in this world is accomplished because he is able to keep us from stumbling and will cause us to stand in the presence of his glory with great joy. That's good stuff. So as we, as we contend, we need to do so standing in the victor's power. And then finally, we need to, as we contend, rest in the victor's position. Where is he? Well, let's just look at what ultimately is said about his position. We get to that phrase, to the only God, our Savior. We would expect in our readings of the New Testament actually to read the words, to Christ our Savior. But he says, to the only God, our Savior, and then he says, through Jesus Christ. What is he doing? He's doing what the New Testament writers do. They very quickly moved back and forth between speaking of the eternal God of the Old Testament and Jesus, believing that Jesus was that eternal God in flesh. And bear in mind, who's saying this? Jude is the earthly half-brother of Jesus. It's hard for any of us to ever say anything nice about our siblings, especially when we're growing up. But Jude here is ascribing deity, the deity of the God of the universe 
to his brother. And then we know for a fact that's what he's doing when he says three things of God the Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says this one is worthy of glory, meaning the honor that is only due to the God of the universe. He is worthy of majesty, speaking of his preeminence over all things, and he is worthy of dominion and authority. Just saying he he is the God who, who rules and reigns, and there is no end to his rule, and to over underscore the fact that there is no end to his rule, he says that this rule takes place before all time and now and forever, meaning that this Jesus occupies a place that existed before time began, that he occupies a place that exists right now, and that he will occupy that same place as far as the eye can see. And then he says, amen, which is not Hebrew for sit down. He says, so be it. It's settled. Rest in that. Rest in it. Now, is this telling us that we really don't have to contend at all? No. Does this mean that there's no real responsibility that's on us at all? Of course not. Pastor Jonathan last week looked at verse 21, which reminds us of the labor that is necessary uh, for a, a follower of Jesus to, to remain faithful to God. But it lets us know that that laboring we do is not in our own power. It is ultimately in the power of King Jesus, and it is done confidently, understanding his place, his his role, his ultimate victory, going out all the way into eternity. So as we contend, as we think about what it is that we must do at times to defend the faith in front of us, we are reminded that because of the power of Jesus, we will not fail, and because of the position of Jesus, we will not be defeated, and we all just need to, here's the application, chill out. We need to chill out. If we got outside of our little thought ghettos that we live in and began to talk to somebody who's genuinely outside the faith about their perception of Christianity, make no mistake about it, the perception of Christianity that they will have will be informed by us holding to things that they have outright rejected. I'm not denying that. But you wouldn't have to talk to them long before they would begin to describe Christianity. I'm talking about people who are outside the faith and have a little edge to them, and they're all around you. You just have to get to know them and maybe have them over for dinner. But the perception they'll have of Christians is that they're angry and scared. They're angry because, at least in the Western world, they no longer hold most privileged status. When it comes to worldview, they're scared because their faith may actually end up costing them something. We're angry and we're scared. And it's, it's like the last 20 months has just thrown a match on that fire. Back during the stay-at-home order, I and some of the other elders began to get pinged by 
faithful members of the church with these doom and gloom scenarios and convictions that when explored just a little bit really just revealed themselves to be a bunch of conspiratorial nonsense. But people were, were ingesting and embracing this stuff deep into their core. And I, you know, I don't know what's going on. So I was having a conversation with Pastor Jonathan about it. And he said, Derek, stay-at-home order meant that you got your work done early. And these people have just gone down internet rabbit holes. And they're not coming back up. And then it began to occur to me, this is very much like what is known as the Ephesian heresy. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing the pastor of the Ephesian church, a man named Timothy. And he says in chapter 2 that people basically just quit minding the business they needed to mind. They quit just doing their, their basic duties of life. And in abandoning that, they, they began to sit at the feet of false teachers and that false teaching began to come in to them and, and began to spread like wildfire in the church all because he just had way too much time on their hands. That's what's happened in the last 20 months with what can only be characterized by, by the absolute insanity that has started to, to find its way into the hearts and the minds of people who were followers of Jesus. They've gotten away from the idea that, that everything has been settled by the life and work of Jesus and we need to rest in that power and we're just running around like chicken little skies falling all the time. So what can we do to restore focus where it needs to be restored? Well, it all boils down to what focus always boils down to, time and attention. Time and attention. We've given our time and our attention to false teachers who have set the world and even churches on fire. But we've not given our time and our attention to Jesus. Our phones are killing us. Our internet connections are killing us. I've said that before. I'm going to say it again till Jesus comes. When I was a youth minister back when dirt was warm, I uh, used to be told all the time that the, the, the number one thing that we needed to look out for for time and attention with our teenagers was television. And I just wish that we could go back there. I wish we could go back there with us. Because right now, we've just got a worldview generator that we carry around in our pockets all the time. And the algorithms know what we like to look at and they feed our outrage and then we watch cat videos and fight with strangers. It's killing us. It's killing us. I'll guarantee you this. If you want an eye-opening experience, create a little bar graph in your life of time spent in the last 20 months or so feeding your spirit in the Word of God and in prayer. And compare that to research done about the 2020 election and race relations and coronavirus and the vaccine. And look how low this is, and it's going to be low for all of us. 
and then never question again why you and I sometimes feel like Jesus is lost. Think about the Jesus that we have just read about from Jude. He is the one who most certainly will keep us from stumbling and will cause us to stand in the presence of his glory with great joy. It is that God and Savior and no other voice on earth including mine. It is that God and Savior who is worthy of glory and majesty and has all dominion and authority and this will go on forever and ever and ever. Amen. So be it. Chill out. Chill out and start spending time with the only one and the only thing that really 